Russia has been keeping the newsrooms of the world busy over the last few months, and this week is certainly no different, with the situation uh, continuing to get hotter. The Economist front cover from April sums up the Russia the world is dealing with very well, with one word, insatiable. The world is certainly worried about how hungry the Russian bear really is. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to another edition of the Bible in the News. This is John Billington with you this week. The Geneva Agreement of April 17th was supposed to calm the situation of Ukraine. It seems it was never worth the paper it was written on, as the situation has only continued to get worse since. And Russia is now saying the Ukraine will face justice for bloody crime in eastern uh, Ukraine, where Ukrainian soldiers killed five pro-Russian rebels, as they are being called. Ukraine is claiming that Russia wants to start World War III, an understandable claim as Russia has been continuing to build its number of troops on the border, plus sending jets into Ukraine airspace, uh, Ukrainian airspace, this after taking Crimea. It's not just the Ukraine that has had problems with Russian planes. The British, the Dutch, and the Danes have all scrambled jets after Russian bombers have approached their airspace this week. For the British, this was not something new, and I know here in Canada we were doing the same thing about four years ago over the Arctic. But with everything else going on today, um, it's simply that much more disturbing. Also this week, a surprise came out about the U.S. Um, in regards to, sorry, the U.S. brokered uh, peace talks. Fatah, the party in the West Bank that Israel has been speaking with, decided that they would join hands with Hamas in Gaza and form a unity government. Sounds, sounds great, except Hamas is openly a terrorist organization, and Israel halted the peace talks immediately on Thursday. And these talks were said to be the last chance for a two-state solution. Even the U.S. State Department spokeswoman Jen... Uh, P-S-A-K-I, Saki, said, It's hard to see how Israel can be expected to negotiate with a government that does not believe in its right to exist. Fair call. The truth is that any peace talks that happen, if they involve Jews vacating the West Bank, are destined for failure. Guaranteed. Why can we be so sure of this? As we have said many times before on this program, the West Bank, or the mountains of Israel, are at the center of the prophecies, and it is God who has put the Jews there, and that right on time. That said, from Ezekiel 38, we know that a temporary peace will come to Israel prior to the northern invader coming down, as it says in verse 11. Uh, the northern invader says there, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. How we're going to get to that point, time will tell. We discuss weekly on this program that all the signs are pointing to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that very soon. The question I ask myself is, am I ready? The fact that Almighty God has given us these signs and shown us what is coming on the earth is extremely incredible. But what is our reaction? 
The following was written by John Thomas in 1849, and we've quoted it much recently on this program. The future movements of Russia are notable signs of the times because they are predicted in the scriptures of truth. When Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, then let the reader know that the end of all things, as at present constituted, is at hand. The long-expected but stealthy ad advent of the King of Israel will be on the eve of becoming a fact, and salvation will be to those who not only looked for it, but have trimmed their lamps by believing the gospel of the kingdom unto the obedience of faith, and the perfection thereof in fruits meet for repentance. How incredible is it that we may be on the doorstep of Russia, making its moves to build up its image empire, but... Notice that he says salvation will be for those that have done the following. 1. Looked for his coming. 2. Trimmed their lamps by believing the gospel of the kingdom. And 3. Unto the obedience of faith and the perfection thereof in, quote, fruits meet for repentance. We're going to spend some a, a moment on each of these and just think about what it means. Looking for his coming. The following passage from 1 Thessalonians 5 speaks to the importance of watching. But of the And this is starting at verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the uh, children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. There's a very interesting verse also in Amos 3 and 7 that says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets. The truth is that God wants to share what he's doing on the earth with those that love him. As amazing as that is. But we see this practically worked out with Abraham in the destruction of Sodom in Genesis 18, verse 16 to 18. That's Genesis 18, verse 16 to 18. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? I think that is absolutely incredible, that God felt that he had to show Abraham what he was going to do. And if we look back at those verses in Amos, he's going to do nothing except he reveals it to his servants, the prophets. When you think that through, it is absolutely beautiful that the creator of the heaven and the earth feels the need to share with, you know, people on this earth what he is doing. So if we needed any more proof that God cares that we take the time to understand the prophecies and the times in which we live, we look at the opening words to the book of Revelation. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, 
to show unto his servants things which much must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things which he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written, for the time is at hand. So there is a special blessing for reading. And the entire book was given to show unto his servants things which, things which, which, tongue twister, things which, which <laughs> must shortly come to pass. These things that God wants to show us, it might, in to many, seem like dead words on a page, but to God, this is Him opening the door and showing, un, showing to us. His beautiful and marvelous promises and what he's doing, as he says. So it matters to him that we watch. It matters to him that we want to know what he's doing. And he's happy to share this with us, as incredible as that is. So that's one thing that John Thomas pointed out was important. The second thing was that we trim our lamps by believing the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is a direct quote from the book of Matthew and from the book of Mark. Often the gospel is thought to be about the four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the events in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the phrase, the gospel of the kingdom, shows you that it means more than that. The word gospel means good news. So in this case, it is the good news of the kingdom. There is much misunderstanding about the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God, let's say. When we look closely at it, the kingdom is certainly something that is going to come on the earth. In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has visions of the kingdoms of the world, one after the other. These kingdoms of men were to be replaced by a kingdom set up by God. It says, and in those days... Uh, sorry, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, these previous kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So after, so he gets a vision of kingdoms that are going to come one after the other after the other over time, and in the end, God himself would set up a kingdom on the earth and replace these other kingdoms. Interestingly, in Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection of Christ, the apostles spent 40 days with him before his ascension to heaven. And it is here that the apostles, or at this time, they ask Christ, they say, Lord, wilt thou at this time, now, restore again the kingdom to Israel? Christ doesn't turn around and say, restored kingdom of Israel? Are you kidding me? Who's ever heard of this? No, he actually says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. There will be a time for you to know, but this isn't the point. This isn't that time. And he, is ascend he ascends to heaven after this. And in verse 11, as the uh, disciples or the apostles are, are, are staring up to heaven, uh, where Christ has disappeared to, the angel comes and says in verse 11, Listen. He's going to return. Just as you've seen him go, he's going to come back. 
So we know that Christ leaves uh, leaves earth and is uh, on the right hand of God, but he is said to be coming back. And as we come forward in the book of Acts to chapter 3, we get a little bit, a little bit closer to the time. He says in Acts 3, verse 20 and 21, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom heaven must, whom the heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And it's worth noting that under David and Solomon, the reason it's speaking about a restitution or a restoration, that it is uh, under King David and Solomon that the kingdom was God's at that point. It wasn't just David's kingdom or Solomon's, it was God's kingdom. And it is said that they sat on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And you can see that in First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 5. That kingdom of David and Solomon's was actually God's kingdom. And so when we look at these verses in uh, Acts and we're looking at a restoration of the kingdom of Israel, that's why, because this is the second time that um, the throne of David will have been as, uh, established. Once when, of course, David sat on it and it will be reestablished for when Christ sits on it. The words from Luke chapter 1 are also extremely relevant. Luke chapter 1, verse 30, uh, 31 to 33. The angel said unto her, Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Uh, he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. So here is the Lord Jesus Christ before he is born. Being It's being prophesied that he would sit on the throne of his father David. And he would reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Which links up perfectly with Daniel chapter 2. So it's also, and there's maybe one more verse that we'll read just um, to go along with this from Jeremiah uh, 23, verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days of days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Um, verse 6, And in his days shall Judah be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. This is the good news of the kingdom, the hope of Israel. The good news promised in the Bible is not an afterlife in heaven. As a writer by the name of Robert Roberts once said, what God has never promised, no one will ever receive. The hope laid out in the Bible is real, and the coming of Christ on this earth will happen soon. Much more can be read on this and uh, similar um, topics in the Bible magazine, and you can get those on the Bible magazine homepage in the back issues. And so the last thing we're going to look at is, okay, so we believe in the kingdom being reestablished. We look at these things and say, yes, I agree. But it's, as John Thomas said, unto the obedience of faith and the perfection thereof in fruits meet for repentance. The obedience of faith. It is now doing something with this faith 
it is fruits meet for repentance. Do we produce any fruit with this knowledge? And this is the last point we're going to mention. And um, it is certainly important that a servant, as we've said, understands and understands who God is and who, what, he's, what he's about. But it can't stop at knowledge. It must be shown in a way of life. And John Thomas actually mentions the following uh, verse in, uh, in relation to this passage, James chapter 2, verse 20 to 22. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And he uses the example of Abraham, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? Verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. We can have faith that the word of God is true and right. We can believe in Christ. We can believe in his work. And even have faith that he's coming back. We can have faith that his hand is working in the nations today in our life. But if we do nothing with the knowledge, it's useless. We've got to do something with it. Habakkuk 2 and verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at, that, <clears throat> at the end it shall speak and not lie. And though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. The reason God gives us prophecy is just this, that we may be motivated to do something. You know, there it is, that he may run that readeth it. Once you've read this, these prophecies, once you understand the truth of God's word, it is a power in your life. The word of God, it says in Hebrews, is quick and powerful. And if we let it, it can be the power in our life. Now, we've been saying on this program over much um, time that the events in Russia um, have been looked for for many years by Bible students. But the challenge, as we see, is to not just believe it, to not just see it, but to examine ourselves and to take the time to have it affect our lives. For the time is coming, the judgment must begin at the house of God. And as John Thomas said, salvation will be to those who not only looked for it, but have trimmed their lamps by believing the gospel of the kingdom unto the obedience of faith and the perfection thereof in fruits meet for repentance. May we be found worthy in that day, and may that day come soon. Thanks for joining us again this week. Come back next week for another edition of the Bible in the News at BibleInTheNews.com.